somos La Dosis y estamos en nuestro canal de YouTube y Spotify. Adivinen qué artista tenemos hoy. Para esta segunda podcast tenemos a nada más y nada menos que Perry Richardson, bajista de Striper desde 2017. And he was one of the first original members of Firehouse. Mae, ¿se puede imaginar la historia que tiene este Mae Axel? Saludos amigos y amigas, estamos acá grabando este segundo. Este, ver a Stripe para ahora este 8 de octubre. Imagínense ustedes ver y entrevistar a este gran artista también, lo que fue bajista de Fahrenheit, ¿verdad? Si no exactamente, exactamente. Algo muy importante, voy a acercarme. Gente. Le preguntamos que cuál es el país que más ha disfrutado visitar. ¿Cuál país cree usted que es? Escribe en los comentarios y el que lo pegue va a tener una sorpresa al final. No se queden, eh, quédense hasta el final, ¿verdad? De, 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 que no se queden? No se queden. Claro que se queden. Es, vamos que, a quedar. Quédense hasta el final para que vamos a ver cuál es ese país que más ha disfrutado Perry. ¿Y um, qué más, Luisito? Ah, eso es todo. Más que todo eh, en Peppers, el 8 de octubre, el sábado 8 de octubre, en Club Pepper va a estar Striper. Y ojalá que disfruten. Vamos con la entrevista y vamos a ver qué opina Mr. Axel de cada pregunta. Para Planet Rock, la dosis. Recuerden, 8 de octubre, Striper en Costa Rica. Stay Metal. Yeah. Hey, fuera vida, gente. Estamos en otro podcast y otra entrevista aquí en nuestro canal de YouTube. Hoy tenemos una de las bandas más legendarias de la historia, pero tenemos un plus porque el invitado de hoy no solamente es integrante de este grupo monstruoso que se llama Striper, pero van a escuchar la historia del señor Perry Richardson, que ha estado en uno de mis grupos favoritos de all time. Así es que les dejo la presentación con Lu para que Lu le haga la traducción en inglés no se pierdan esta entrevista que vamos a conocer la persona detrás de Perry Richardson and Striper. Gracias, Nell. Amazing. Yes, como acaba de decir Nell, everybody. Uh, bueno, Striper is coming to play at Peppers el 19 de septiembre ahorita. So, we were super, super graced to get uh, bass player galore Perry Richardson to be able to be with us today. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna have fun. Perry, hi! Thank you so much for doing this. We know that you're busy. Muchísimas Thank gracias, you. as we say in Ticolandia. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Just from the beginning. Hey, dude! Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I, we are busy. We're getting ready to head out on a, about a three-week run. So uh, I got a lot to do around here, and I need to practice a little bit before I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, move on, move on. We only been doing these fly dates now and then, and then you kind of get rusty, but uh, I got to brush up on some stuff. We might throw in a few songs we hadn't played in a long time and try to keep it fresh. So uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to coming to Costa Rica, man. Can't yeah. wait. We have a lot of questions. We have a few days off down there. <laughs> so late. it's going to be like a little vacation for us. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's a nice place. Okay, let's start. A tu edad de más o menos de los 8 a los 9 años, sabemos que empezaste en un coro. Ahí fue como la primera vez que encontraste o que descubriste que te gustaba la música. So, uh, we've done we've done a little bit of research. Uh, we we noticed that you started in like basically that your music career started in in gospel choirs when you were around eight or nine years old. And so, like the question was. 
Like when you started doing that, did you feel it? Like, wow, this is something that I want to do. Or, or did it seem more like a chore? When was it that you knew that you were like, oh, wow, I want to This is mine. You know, I, I, I think I knew when I first started, when I was singing in the quartet, when I was young like that, I, I loved doing it. You know, it wasn't like my parents made me or, you know, all that kind of thing. So I knew I loved doing it then. But when I first, uh, when I first started my very first band that I was, at, at, back then I was singing lead and playing bass and, uh, after the first week of wow. putting that band together, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I just uh, never gave up on it and kept trudging along and had, my parents were great. They, they'd back me and, and if it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't have been able to do this. So they, my dad built us a rehearsal hall or a little shed by the house. and. He was in a that, band. That, that was the next question. <laughs> that was the next question. That's a big. That's a big theme on our show. We talk yeah. about that all the time. Where we're like, man, it's so beautiful when uh, it's amazing either, that when you're a parent or if your parents support you. Um, Nelson, tell them about your mom. Your mom, Nelson's mom, is always like calling into the show, saying, "Stay metal." She listens to every show. <laughs> so right. that's a beautiful thing. That was actually the next question that we were going to ask you. Was like, hey, you know, Yeah. Eh, entre, entre todas las cosas que siempre queremos rescatar eh, a los que nos gusta el rock y el metal es lo importante del apoyo de nuestros padres y de nuestros familiares y en mi caso eh, a mí nunca se me olvida que en el show de Guns N' Roses que estaba yo cantando y nada más volví a ver hacia la derecha y escuchaba a mi mamá en primera fila gritar y, y ese grito es el más importante de todo el estadio igual tuvo que haber sido para ti eh, qué bonito es cuando tú inicias tu sueño y tus padres te dicen aquí estamos de la mano para ti para ayudarte, eso me parece fantástico, cuéntanos un poquito de la historia de cómo tus padres te ayudaron en el inicio no, uh, yeah, basically um, with, like Nelson was saying that when he was able to perform uh, uh, op uh, to open up for Guns N' Roses where he was able to be on that same stage that his mom was right there first row like cheering with this that he could hear her with everybody there because she was so like emotionally Amazing. like oh my god so that's a big theme for us uh nelson and i have uh, our cousins and and so family is very important to us can you expand a little bit on on just how like beautiful it is that that uh that yeah that your parents helped you so much in in, in pushing you to the beginning they did man uh, it was so funny when i when we put the first band together CJ from Firehouse was there. He came down. He was in Pennsylvania. So they, a bunch of guys moved down from Pennsylvania to Myrtle Beach area and uh, had nowhere to stay. My parents brought him a camper and we put it beside the house. Wow. My dad built us a rehearsal place and uh, they lived there, man. And my mom would cook every night and feed everybody. And wow. They just uh, helped me get a loan to buy our first PA and truck and all that stuff. I mean, it, they did everything for me. And it was, That's my dad wanted me to play country. Other than that, he was, a, he, he was a big country bluegrass guy. And he was always kept on me about, man, you need to start a country band, get out of this rock and roll. But he, <laughs> he knew I loved it. And I eventually did get into country, but He didn't live to see that me. He didn't live to get to uh, see me play the Grand Ole Opry, which I 
you know, I hope he was looking down and smiling on that, but um, it, I just can't say enough about the Nordic's That's amazing. Yeah. Que bonito, que bonito. That's amazing. Um, que tan increíble es el destino que Max Warrior abrió para Striper en 1985. ¿Eso es cierto? Cuéntanos un poquito de la historia. So, how insanely crazy is it this world that your band Max Warrior had opened for Striper back in 1985 and now you're a member of the band? (laughs) Yeah, that was... That was probably the highlight of my career so far when we got to open for them. You know, it was wow. they were one of my favorite bands, and uh, we were in Charlotte, and we were from we were you know we played Charlotte a lot. We were based out of Myrtle Beach, but we played Charlotte and Raleigh all over North Carolina. So we were pretty big in that area. So they let us open for them, and it was uh, they treated us great. They came out and met everybody. We met everybody and they talked to us for a good while before while we were doing a sound check and all. It was it was really great. I fell in love with the guys that night, you know, and that impacted me through the I mean through their whole career. I've kept up with them the whole time because I I loved what they were doing and the new stuff just started getting better than the old stuff. And I was like, wow, this band is amazing. And when I got a chance to a part of it, I freak out. <laughs> so, wow, wow. Pero yeah. bueno, eso es una muy buena enseñanza para todos los que nos están viendo, porque a veces la gente cree que los sueños no se hacen realidad, y sí se hacen realidad. O sea, te puedes imaginar a, a, a Perry abriendo con su grupo, empezando para Striper, y muchos años después ser el bajista de Striper. Así es que, gente, no paren de soñar. Ok, vamos con la otra pregunta. Um, Perry Nelson was just saying, uh, he was just giving uh, a message to everybody that, uh, that one of the uh, another theme that we harp on about is to never let go of your dreams and for you never. to like be like wow we're opening up for striper to you know, so many years later being the bass player for striper like that's yeah. real life example never that, like, stop dreaming never you have that's to right i mean that. i think that's the only difference in me and so many hundreds of thousands of bass players that are out there i would just refuse to give up <clears throat> And I wanted it so bad and I just wouldn't quit I would live on not making any money forever, you know, and just uh, eating bologna sandwiches and just sacrificing for what you want to do. And I, and, and I just didn't, uh, I didn't quit. I chalk it up to that. You know, it's not La so. Perseverancia. La perseverancia. Yeah. Perseverance. Exactly. Ok, en, entre 1984 y 1989 hubo un trabajo muy fuerte y estabas en una banda que se llamaba Nantucket, ¿cómo se, se pronuncia? Nantucket. Ajá, eh, por un tiempo, ¿cómo fue ese tiempo hasta que llegaste a ser firmado por Epic? Ok, so, uh, there's, there's a few questions here. First off, what was it like for you to get recruited to form Firehouse? When, uh, like, how, how did that process happen? Like, how, how was it that you got asked to be part of that group? Well, um, well, CJ and I were in Max Warrior together, and Bill and Michael were in a band together called White Heat up in Richmond. And, uh, 
before it ever joined it, we we had run across these guys a couple times, and we loved their sound and really loved Bill's playing and Michael's playing. And so when the Max Story thing broke up, I went and played with Nantucket for a couple of years, and then during that time, they were trading tapes back and forth and and writing songs and stuff, and they decided to decided to put it all together and form a band. And you know, as soon as they did, I was had to put my notice in so that I could be, I'll be on the way. So we went to Charlotte and got a band house in Charlotte and hunkered down in there and just started writing songs and recording them on a little four track and worked day and night on that for about a year, you know, before it started happening. Okay. Okay. Bueno, yo me estaba brincando, me estaba brincando una pregunta. Es que Lu, 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 y esa era una pregunta muy importante, ¿verdad? Para la gente que, que no no sabe el, el, el pasado tan impresionante que tiene Perry Richardson. Perry fue el cofundador y fue parte de Firehouse en sus mejores tiempos. Entonces estábamos hablando un poquito de eso porque yo me brinqué esa pregunta que era de las más importantes de todo el camino. That's okay, that's okay. Um, so we were just making the, uh, to anybody that didn't know, that only thought that you were from Just Striper because they didn't know that you were one of the seminal glam rock bands of all time one of the biggest you know, over 10 million albums sold two million albums with firehouse as well uh from back in the day when uh so you described that grind of of like having to persevere and just do everything that you have to do to just get there right and if it takes eating bologna sandwiches or you know sleeping six people in a hotel room that whole thing um what was it like the day that you found out that you guys were actually signing the actual paperwork to be signed by Epic. Tell us about that day, that experience. That, that's actually the day. Yeah, it was, uh, man, I mean, as you can imagine, you're so overjoyed because all that sacrifice we thought was worth it, you know, and finally we're getting the recognition that we, we've been striving for and uh, that they love what we were doing enough to to put the money down for us, you know, and that it was just, you know, triumphant for us. It was the, everything. And, uh, and then back then, you know, before now, now bands put their own stuff out and it's not a big, big deal. You don't have to have a record deal anymore. But back then, dude, it was do or die. If you didn't have a record company on your side, you would never get heard anywhere. And so we just, uh, we were just so happy we couldn't stand it. I can, uh, it was like a dream, man, you know. Sí, sí. De verdad que sí, que, que impresionante. Eh, um, después de haber conseguido tantas cosas increíbles con Firehouse y tener tantos años de ser parte de la familia Firehouse, ¿qué te llevó a salir del grupo en el año 2000? So, um, a couple things. First off, when you were with firehouse originally what was it like when you were when for you personally as a band member when you saw that the music world was shifting to like a grunge style where it was like okay wait a minute because not because 1990 was when the the self-titled came out and that was like almost the end of the glam era beginning of everything new right where it was like uh oh what's this nine inch nails nirvana stuff what was that period like for you as a musician when you were like you know in that in that perfect you know, <coughs> dichotomy of the shift, of, of the musical overtone shift. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, when it's happening, we can look back at it now and see how it was such a drastic overnight, just bombshell, you know, when it was happening, we, you don't see it like that. It's just a day, day-to-day grind that you're still going through. I mean, we just started working on our, just put our second record out in 92, right when that was starting to hit. And, uh, you know, I mean, we were right on the cusp, man. If we'd have been out two years earlier, it'd probably been a lot bigger, you know? But we just, all these bands in our genre kind of got the rug pulled out from under us and it was, it just gotten oversaturated was one problem, I think. And uh, it was a grunge, was a, you know, a fresh feel and lyrical content and everything really grabbed a lot of people. And I can understand that uh, because it was just too much. But we fought and fought and kept going and we didn't change a, bit, a lot. You know, we didn't want to, hey, let's start doing grunge sound exactly. stuff. Exactly. You have to be what you are. Yeah, and we were like the probably the last freaking, you know, hair band or whatever you want to call us that had a top 40 hit on Billboard. I mean, that was in 95 or 6, I think. So we kept it going to then and then a lot of the international stuff. And, you know, we had gold albums in, I think, 10 or 11 different countries. So we did a lot in Japan and Philippines oh, and, and Asia really kept us going for a long time too. So that, that helped us out. But, uh, you know, it was, a, you know, looking back at it, it was crazy like overnight, but when it was happening, it didn't seem that way, you know? Okay. And then the, the second part of that was in 2000, <coughs> what was it that prompted the, for you to say, you know what, I'm going to take uh, I'm fire. I'm going to do, I'm going to just take a break from firehouse. What was that? Or not a break, but leave the band. Like what, what was, was it just like, just, just kind of a burnout scenario? Like what was the. We were very burned out, man. I was uh, CJ and I have been together since 1980, you know, with only a couple of years off in there. We were sick of each other. Um, I was sick of doing the same type music over and over and over again. And you'll, you'll see on that last album I was on, Category 5, I wrote, I was in on the writing on, I was the main writer on that record. So, and you can see where that was change, changing. I was trying my best to change the band, you know? And, uh, and you can also hear a hint of country flavor and some of that stuff and I had it in my head then I was like I after that record come out I was I wanted to go right back to doing the same type of stuff we were doing before and I had enough of that and I decided to move to Nashville and try to do a country thing so that, the pregunta. You know, that's the man that, that that's how mostly mostly <coughs> how it kind of went down un spin viene, viene, viene un cambio yo sé que has contado esta historia muchas veces pero muchas personas tal vez no lo saben nos encantaría que nos compartieras un poquito qué fue esa experiencia de haber terminado trabajando con Craig Morgan por 14 años so pretty much anybody who knows like who you are Perry was a fan they they've heard the story of how you ended up 
working with Craig Morgan for 14 years. But since this is going to be like kind of a new audience, you know, you're going to have some some fans of yours that are going to learn the story for the first time. We'd love for you to tell the story wow. that you told thousands of times about how you ended up working for Craig Morgan for 14 years. Yeah, that was a funny, pretty funny story, actually. So, yeah, I've been, I'd already moved to Nashville and my best friend was playing drums for Craig and uh, their monitor guy quit and they didn't have anybody to come out to run monitors for him. They were touring pretty much full time. So Michael, the drummer, he called me and said, hey man, could, could I know you're not a monitor guy, but could you run monitors for us until we can find a monitor guy? And like, yeah, I could do that. I've never done it before, but can't be that hard right so so uh um i went out and hit it for a you know a few weeks and uh still hadn't found anybody i was like kept going and going i was like well i didn't have a job and anything to do anyway so it's like what the heck and uh so it was probably three months into this the bass player in the band had to go to a wedding or something i can't remember what it was and uh, they couldn't find a replacement bass player last minute. So Craig was like, I guess we're going to cancel these shows. And I said, well, I could think I could play bass for this stuff, you know? Wow. Like, what? You you play bass? I was like, yeah, I played a little bit. <laughs> heard, heard these songs every night for a few months. I think I would follow along. He said, ah, okay, let's try it instead of canceling. So got up and did the shows and went off pretty good you know i didn't make blunder so bad that we had to stop or anything so he was at the end of the night he was like wow dude that freaking felt better than normal <laughs> and, yeah uh, he said you want to you know you want a gig you want to play for me and because the other guy thinking about quitting so talked him into go ahead and quitting and uh got got me on board and uh yeah, I mean, that lasted, I can't believe it, but yeah, like 14 years with him. We were having a great time, and, and he was right at the peak of his career. He was getting number one hits, and we were having a great time. And then after that, Trace Atkins called me out of the blue one day and offered me a lot more money. You know, it was Trace. We were going to do a lot of TV stuff. and So I felt bad, but I left. <coughs> and went and played with Trace. Did that for a couple of years, and the new war off of that one quick, and I asked Craig if I could come back, and he welcomed me back with open arms to come on back home, and I uh, came back to Craig and played a couple of more years before the striper thing happened, so. Excelente. Hey, Lou, usted le pasó las preguntas a, a Perry, ¿verdad? Porque cada vez que voy a hacer una pregunta que sigue, él ya la responde, ¿verdad? Usted o se las pasó. <laughs> Nelson just asked if I gave you our, our interview questionnaire because every single you're doing the perfect leadings. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's amazing. That's amazing. That's right. Okay. Bueno, ya hablamos un poquito sobre Craig y sobre Tracy Atkins, que era la pregunta que íbamos a hacer, pero ya, ya no la adelantó. Ahora sí vamos a entrar de lleno un poquito a lo que fue Striper. ¿Cómo fue que se dio esa unión en Striper el 30 de octubre del 2017 que ya te quedaste como bajista de Striper? So, all right, now Striper time. Can you tell us about how joining Striper 
full-time happen on October 30th, 2017? Uh, well, I, we didn't really know each other and we'd met that, <coughs> well, I, they, I met them that one time when we opened for them in 85. And then I think we'd done, I saw them backstage maybe twice since then. So they didn't know me. I mean, they knew about Firehouse and all that, but I wasn't on the radar at all. So their man, one of their managers uh, was talking to a good friend of mine that did some promotion in North Carolina. He was a great big Max Warrior fan, followed us everywhere back in the day. And their manager said something to, to Marty about uh, Stryker might be needing a bass player. And he immediately grabbed a pen and wrote my name and number down and gave it to the man. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, That's amazing. Yeah, so Dave, Dave looked at it and saw my name and it's like, no way, this is so weird because their manager, Dave Rose, he had a band back in North Carolina that one of their first gigs was opening for Firehouse at one, before we got signed. It was like while we were still shopping for a deal in Raleigh. And uh, he said it was we treated them great and you know we're really good guys to like a you know an up and coming open opening band and kind of stuck with him and he kept his eye on me through all those years and uh that was uh i don't know it was kind of meant to be man i've, I've loved yellow and black all my life and here i am yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was I mean, he, he pushed, Dave pushed for me to, to get an audition. He called, called the guys in the band and I said, sure, we'll give him a shot, you know? And, uh, they sent me four songs to learn and I flew up to Massachusetts and we sat in a little tiny room and played through everything and didn't sing at all. We we're just playing. I like didn't know the songs that well. I was like, gosh, I wish I had somebody singing so I could tell where I'm at, you know? Then we quit playing and we just sing a cappella together. And I was not can't lie, I was pretty nervous because I'm meeting one of my favorite bands face to face for the first time, really. And uh it was God, it was great. And two days later they called me, it's like we they were had a few more people I wanted to audition. They called me two days later, so we're not auditioning anybody else, it's yours if you want it. So eso es fuera de las preguntas, pero qué bonito ver este camino que ha tenido Perry en la vida, que ha sido una persona humilde, trabajadora, positiva, esforzada y que la vida lo ha premiado con todos los sueños que, que, que ha querido, ¿verdad? Así es que nada más felicitarte, Perry, por todas esas cosas tan lindas que la vida te ha dado porque tú te las has merecido. Nelson saying that uh, it's just a beautiful thing when, you know, we can actually meet somebody who's humble, hardworking, has perseverance, you know, tattooed on their soul and doesn't give up to be able to reach those, you know, pinnacles after such a, you know, after that grind of, of pushing through no matter what. And then, uh, you know, with, with everything in life, when we do that, that's when these beautiful things happen to us, right? At like tunnels and highways. We go through that tunnel and that light's out there and like, oh, wow, it was worth it. <laughs> es que muchas felicidades. Eh, um, la siguiente pregunta es, 
queremos como que te devuelvas al tiempo y nos digas exactamente lo que sentías el primer día que tuviste tu primer ensayo oficial como parte de Striper. ¿Qué sentías en ese momento mientras ibas caminando al rehearsal? All right, so this is uh, if, uh, like flashback type scenario. Um, when you, after you were like, after the guys in Striper were like, this is our guy. And you knew you were in the band, right? And now you're going to that very first rehearsal, officially a member of, of, the, of Striper. What did you feel? Like, what were you feeling when you were driving to the, you know, to your first official? Wow, I am in this band. It's mine. They're not changing their mind. It's like, what was going through your heart? Well, I was probably the second happiest day in my music career, you know, after getting that record deal and, uh, yeah. you know, getting that first platinum album and all that kind of thing was getting this gig because I was really ready to quit music and totally. And Nashville had just wiped me out. I was sick of it and I was ready to move back home Myrtle beach and I decided to just quit and go back home, you know? So it came at the absolute perfect time. Perfect. It was so weird. And everybody lives everywhere. So I could go ahead and I could move back home. I could get out of Nashville, which I needed to do and uh, get back home around some family and uh, a little more laid back down here. And it was, uh, it was what I needed. And it was, yeah, like I said, perfect timing. And, but it was the best feeling the I, I I can't even explain it, dude. It was just, it, it meant so much to me that, that they thought that I would fit in and uh, that I was good enough to be on stage with such an iconic band, man. It, uh, it made me feel, it was humbling, man, you know? Excelente. Qué bonito. Sí. Es que te puedes imaginar, Lu, lo que debe ser que te digan, ok, ya vas a ser parte de Striper, ¿verdad? Y llegar al ensayo con esa emoción, que tengas tanto talento, es algo que realmente te tiene que emocionar. Así es que, qué chivas esas cosas que ha vivido este Perry. Y ya entre casi las últimas preguntas, cuando te quieres acordar y cierras tus ojos sobre tantos conciertos que has vivido, ¿hay algún concierto en específico que tú dices, este fue el show más impresionante de todos los que he vivido en mi vida? ¿Cuál sería? So uh, we're, we're going to get into like some random personal questions, fun stuff for you. When right. you think of all the live shows that you've ever performed at in your entire life, doesn't matter what, you know, what size venue, festival, whatever. When, so, when you think live shows, is there one in particular that you performed at on stage that immediately comes to mind and why, why that? Wow, that's... <laughs> Well, so what I'm you're not saying your my favorite was, show of all not your favorite show of all time, just the one where you like, you know, when you're thinking of like live shows, you're like, oh man. The one that popped into my head was the the uh first time that I ever got to open for Judas Priest. Wow. Um and that didn't happen until like went until I was in Striper. <laughs> and yeah, man. Priest has been my, that was my all-time favorite band, just above and beyond anybody else to me. I mean, it was just, I love them and uh, got to meet Rob several times and hang out with him. Such a great dude, man. I, yeah. Amazing him. boys. 
Yes, yes, metal singer that's ever been. Wow. In my opinion, no hay, no hay nada más arriba de, de Rob He's so crazy. But yeah, that just popped in my head. I mean, that would have to be <coughs> the first time I got to open for Judas Priest. That was in Spain, I think, right? Yeah, that was in Spain. Okay. Ahora sí, vamos con más preguntas personales. Ya casi vamos a terminar. Cuando piensas en lugares que has visitado en el planeta, ¿hay algún lugar eh, que te gustaría regresar o que quisieras conocer de todo este planeta impresionante? So you've gotten to travel all over the planet, right? Because you've been in so many bands and so many different, you know, you're playing here, playing there. Is there one place that you think of that you're like, wow, you know what? I didn't expect at all that it was going to be so amazing when you got there. Was there like a specific, like one, you know what I mean? Like one show in one city or one country where you were like, I didn't expect that I was going to fall in love with this place. Mexico. Oh yeah. Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Blew me away. Amazing. We, we were there right, right when the pandemic hit, you know, and uh, it blew me away. The fans blew me away. The venues, the hotels, the people. I, I, it's nothing like what you expect. And I, it, that was the biggest surprise. I mean, I played Mexico once before back in Firehouse, like maybe in 1990, and I couldn't really remember it. it was, this really, that's the most surprised I've been. Yeah. Nice. Excellent, excellent. En, en todo el tiempo que andas de tour, uno sabe que prueba muchas comidas y prueba muchas cosas de cada país. ¿Hay alguna comida en específico que sea tu comida favorita siempre que andas de tour? When you get to go on tour, right? Is there a, a spot where you're like, oh, thank goodness. I get to eat blank from a food standpoint as a foodie where you're like, oh, man. Oh, yes, this is this one's on the list. Oh, I'm not a foodie. <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't. I don't really like a lot of foods, man. And I was raised on a farm in the South. You'd think I eat everything. I don't, okay. man. I don't like. I don't even like vegetables. I don't like pasta. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me, but um, the no, I can't. I get maybe uh, um, when we next time we get to go to Brazil or Argentina, those. Steakhouses they have Steakhouses, in there. right? Yeah, next they level. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I might look forward to that. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, okay. Um, es casi la última pregunta. Siempre nos gusta saber qué has escuchado hoy de música. O sea, ¿cuál ha sido la última canción que has escuchado independientemente del género de música que sea? Nada más que sea sincero y nos digas, ok, acabo de escuchar lo que X. Regardless of genre, doesn't matter. This is not like favorite list of all time no just real life what, what was the last music you listened to what band what songs what are you listening to these days today or yesterday like today you're like yeah like hey, you know what i <coughs> listen to blank, like you're driving in your car okay yesterday i was uh putting down a uh a laminate floor and a new shed i bought so i had music blaring you know wow. so here's what i listen to see if i can remember uh Uh, Urahi, Angel, uh, Adam Lambert, Sweet, Suede. What else? There was one more. 
Leonard Skinner. Nice, very nice. Para que vean que escuchamos de todo tipo de música. Y bueno, ¿alguna vez has venido a nuestro país, que es Costa Rica, o esta es la primera vez que vas a venir a nuestro país? So before we close, we had one last question. Uh, have you ever traveled to Costa Rica before, or is this going to be your first time? And have you ever been to Costa Rica on vacation, perhaps? Oh, never been on vacation. And I can't remember if Firehouse played there or not. I, <laughs> a lot of the Firehouse stuff was kind of a blur for me. Um, I don't think we did. Um, and um, so that's why I'm really looking forward to it. And I don't, and if we did, I don't remember it. So this is going to be all brand new. And I've heard a lot of great stuff about it and uh, really looking forward to it. Somos un país pequeño, pero realmente todo el país está esperando que venga Striper. Te vas a emocionar muchísimo al ver el venue súper lleno y el amor y el cariño de toda la gente que está deseando como nosotros ver a Striper. Yeah, you're going to be very impressed with the fans you have in, in Costa Rica. Like, no doubt. There's no actually, doubt. there's real life, there is a tribute to Striper show going on Sunday, October 2nd five days before your show where there are at least six bands performing and that'll be a full house. And that's a tribute to your show coming exactly. up five days later. Uh, can you imagine? So awesome. el tributo. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Sí, sí. Uh, bueno, Perry, muchas gracias por tu tiempo. Gracias for your kindness. Thank you so much for your time. You are amazing man. Uh, me alegro mucho de que todas las cosas que has conseguido se te hayan dado porque eres un ser maravilloso. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to hear you. Thank you. Thank you again, Perry, for taking the time with us today on La Dosis. We are blessed and honored to have you as a, as not just as a badass musician, as a wonderful, talented musician that you are, but especially as just the a, obviously humble, beautiful spirit of a person that you are as well. So We wanted to say thank you so much, most genuinely, for taking the time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you. Hey, pura vida, estamos de vuelta aquí en la dosis. ¿Qué opinas, Mr. Axel? Así global primero sobre esta entrevista que tuvimos tan chida con Perry. Saludos, mis amigos. Ahorita está viendo la entrevista con lo que es el nuevo bajista de Striper. Estuvo súper excelente, mucha humildad. Este, me quedé impactado con él totalmente, siempre con el primo Luke, con el Nelson, las preguntas que se hizo, eh, no, no, no tengo palabras para decirlo, pero me encantó, y eso es para la dosis, para ustedes que tienen que prepararse en el canal de YouTube, la dosis radio. Yeah, yeah. Luisito, también no sé, ¿qué opinó al final de todo eso? Es que estaba buenísimo, lo que a mí me encantó fue la primera vez que, eh, uh, que él dio la respuesta que usted pudo oír también sobre cuando... ¿Cómo era que él empezó ya de nuevo en su career de music? Que tomó, mm. que él estaba 14 años como bass player uh, para Craig. Y cuando he got that job, era porque, o sea, no tenía un brete. Se mm. salió de Firehouse porque ya estaba quemado. Sí. Estaba buscando un brete. Y fue que le preguntaron, hey, ¿quiere trabajar con los monitors? Y él, bueno, ok, Daisy, así es. Let's uh -huh. go do it. Y después eh, no llegó un mae para el show. El bajista no llegó para un show que tenía wow. a uh, Craig. Uh -huh. Y le preguntaron a él, uh, bueno, hey, ¿se va a cancelar el show? Porque no tenemos bajista. Y él dijo, eh, yo sé Tal vez yo pueda. I know how. <risa> no sabían que era de Firehouse. Uh, no sabían nada. 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 
y vea cómo es la vida después con Trace Atkins y ahora con Striper es que es, es increíble es, hablamos eso all the time like sí. how important el destino el destino es tan, destino, tan, tan bueno que le right? puede a uno dar muchas cosas por eso como hemos dicho en el programa es bonito soñar pero hay que hacer el trabajo yeah. y muy importante estar preparado a la gente a veces la gente cree que el furgón como decimos en español uh -huh. que el tren pasa todo el tiempo y no el tren pasa una vez y usted está preparado y es el momento indicado las cosas pueden suceder así es que bueno una entrevista más no se pueden perder la tercera que va a ser algo muy especial para todos los que estamos aquí en Costa Rica y ya saben siempre todos los miércoles 8pm Planet Rock la dosis con el primo Lu Nelson Agresor y Axel Metal. Yeah. Buena vida. No, no se lo olviden también, ladosisradio.com para mm -hmm. todos los chivos que vienen al país, los videos, el podcast y para escucharnos en la 107.5 FM en Planet. Esto es La Dosis Stay, Stay Metal. Metal. Yeah.